We gotta go to the bullpen. Welcome to the Highland Bullpen, the all-new podcast bringing America's pastime to Scotland shores. It doesn't matter if you're a Hall of Famer heading for Cooperstown or you're fresh out of the minor leagues, this is the podcast for you. Hello baseball fans around the world and welcome back to the Highland Bullpen. The 2022 MLB season is already off and running. We've had some great action. We've had some surprise victors and some shocking defeats so far. Plus, we've had a man making a bit of history as well. So to kick us off, we'll go around our various teams. We'll find out how Alan's feeling about the start the Detroit Tigers have made. We'll find out whether the Boston Red Sox are causing Yorkshire Dave sleepless nights. And we'll find out if Dave Jr.'s predictions for the Chicago White Sox's season are panning out so far. But first and foremost, we've got to talk about the Mariners. Sorry, guys. But uh, the Pride of Seattle are sitting proudly atop the division there after a really strong start to the season. Only a couple of, te- couple of teams in baseball uh, as of this evening. I think the, the, the Mets, the Dodgers and perhaps one other have started uh, with any hotter Bats than the Mariners have, so they're ten and six as we speak. They've had some good results so far. Only series I think we've lost has been to the you know, the White Sox, where I think Dave Junior's team just got the best of us. But we've we've certainly made up for that. We've been red hot against the Royals, and yeah, it's just a really strong start for the Mariners. And I think there was a that was the hope that after a really strong season last season, it was let's find out can they can they live up to the new expectations that the fans have, and they certainly have. Today, a couple of those trademark narrow victories early on as well. And then, as I say, we've got into a stride, plenty of runs, some some good pitching there. A couple of things still need to be sorted out. But yeah, a strong start for the Mariners. And from my point of view, long may it continue. But as I mentioned, the one team to have got the better of the Mariners so far, well, the Chicago White Sox, the, the favoured team of Dave Jr., and Dave, that was obviously a nice result for you guys. But beyond that one series, how do you feel the White Sox have started off the 2022 MLB season? If you don't mind me pulling you up on your journalism first, Richard. <laughs> um, be the first time. I'm a little bit disappointed that you, you saved your um, alliteration. You had them around the wrong way because you said that Dave's Red Sox might be sleepless. But is it not better to be sleepless in Seattle? Indeed, indeed. And actually, you know what? Only we're sleepless because of all the partying and celebrating <laughs> that's going on long into the night uh, up there in the Pacific Northwest. But yes, good point, Dave Jr. Uh, excellent. Well, um, again, hats off. I think you're certainly doing the best from the, the four of our outfits just now, Richard. Um, the White Sox, it's a, a wild start to the season. Um, I was speaking to a friend the other day just about how they're very into their football, into their Scottish football. And I said, you know, if, if you win on a Saturday, you've got kind of five or six days where you're clawing for your, your next game to come. Uh, on the flip side, if you get beat, you just, you're dying for the next game to come as well. I said, baseball just night after night after night. Uh, and just now for the White Sox, it's not a good thing because we are on a, a bit of a losing run. Um, as you said, we, op- we opened out our season uh, with strong wins against Detroit uh, and against Seattle. And then 
Um, again, I, I felt that we took on a, an opponent who should be a little bit of a class above, um, above yourselves in Tampa Bay, a team that's always there or thereabouts, amazingly, given their, their overall net spend every year. Um, and again, we, we beat them quite comfortably over, over a series. However, the curse of 2021 has really um, came home to roost again in 2022. So we've had injuries, um, basically our, our entire outfield. So Eloy Jimenez, Luis Robert, and we picked up AJ Pollock from the Dodgers, which was a fantastic signing, uh, all out injured. Uh, coming into the infield, our third baseman, Johan Mancada, out injured. Tim Anderson and Josh Harrison, who's signed uh, in the off-season, uh, have both started this, the season with injuries as well. Um, Jose Abreu is Mr. Usual. You know, he's, he's there every every night on first base. But again, our two names, that you, you, the three of you are probably familiar with with the White Sox pitching. Uh, Giolito is our star pitcher. He's been out injured. And Lance Lynn is out for months as well. So it feels in the last week or so that the White Sox have really been hit with um, a really unfortunate set of injuries. Um, and if you take that again into the football analogy, if you're thinking about your starting 11, it's really like starting without seven of your real first team players uh, coming in there. And it's, it's made for some unusual names to come into that starting lineup. They haven't done amazingly well. Uh, and if I'm being honest, the, the guys, maybe the stalwarts that, that you'd expect a little bit more of, they've found it hard as well. Uh, the bullpen's done relatively well. Um, nobody's sold the team down the river from a pitching point of view, but we've been edged out in these last seven games. And um, it's it's been against opponents that if you're looking to win your division, you're really looking to put teams like Minnesota and Cleveland to the sword, uh, whereas both teams have just swept us away from home. Uh, and again, that analogy for those of you that don't realise, it's when you have three or four game series in, in towns or cities in America, um, it, if one opponent wins that entire set of games it's, it's deemed as a sweep you've, you know, you've been kind of swept away um, so to lose those amount of games to our competitors our direct competitors is disappointing on the back of uh, strong wins against Detroit a good Detroit team a really good Mariners team and an excellent Tampa Bay team uh, so we'll see how the next few weeks go as we start to get some of those uh, superstars back uh, the one saving grace is that I think if you look at the records amongst American League Central teams we're only something like one and a half games back from uh, from sitting top of that particular table. Uh, no team in the division has really started it uh, amazingly well, like the Mariners. Um, so that's the one saving grace. And from that point of view, what I've seen in the start of the season, I'm still confident we can go on to win the American League uh, Central, but it's going to be um, just getting there, making sure that the team's in the right state for getting into that potential postseason because the White Sox have all the tools to be a real contender for the World Series. They just need to start applying that now, Richard. Terrific summary there, Dave Jr., and thanks for that. And yeah, that's uh, one of the things it was actually Ken Griffey Jr. was talking about I saw a week or so ago was saying about the how the teams that do the best are also almost always the teams that stay the healthiest as well. So clearly, you know, it's I think injuries will play a big part in this season as well. Kind of, I think last year as well, Dave Junior, the White Sox had some key absentees at, at key points of the season as well. So yeah, but I think you're absolutely right. They've got the quality for the long haul. So it's just a case of riding out this kind of slump, if you like, in form at the moment, because it will, I'm sure, 
turn around. And in the same vein as quality will always see come through at the end. Yorkshire Dave, the Red Sox, what have you made of their start to the season so far? Yeah, I think um, Dave makes a good point about, you know, how baseball works uh, sort of generally, you know, 162 games in a, in a season. But I did hear the other day the commentators talking about um, how they break it up into the series. So you play a three-game or a four-game series and and the idea is like to try and win every series. And of course, when you come up against uh, opponents in your division, as Dave said, then, you know, it's, it's, it's doubly important. And, um, you know, so far Boston have got off to a reasonably good start, but they've, they've, I think they've gone one and five in their last six games. So they're currently, you know, six and six and seven and ten record. And they, because they're playing against their rivals, they started off in the Bronx, of course, and lost that 2-1, although um, they're very close games. Um, the only series they've won is against Allen's Detroit, and they, they, they split a series, home series, against the Twins 2-2, um, um, but lost at home to the, the Blue Jays and also to the Tampa Rays away. So they're, that's three of the top teams in their divisions. So they're already they're four games back, but it's only 17 games. I think last year, I think I remember, Red Sox lost the first three games against Orioles and went on an eight-game streak. So that can happen, but you don't want to get too far back, um, especially, as I say, in such a strong division. And uh, I must admit, I was quite excited before, I think you always are before the new se- season, but when you look at the lineup. Red Sox always hit, and um, they've got a, an amazing lineup. They um, traded, uh, got free agent Trevor Story, who's a great shortstop, but he's he's playing second base. Um, Sander Bogarts is uh, the you know the um, <clears throat> really the sort of the club captain, and he's at that position. You've got Rafi Devers at third base, who's playing really well, and um, Bobby Dahlbeck at first. So great looking infield outfield similarly so yeah they scored 60 runs but they've given away 70 so that they you know minus uh, run differential um you know it's, it's hard to put your finger on what's going on i, I just it's, it's too early to to say really there's not much wrong with a starting pitching the, again they're missing chris sale who uh, i think he's fractured a rib in the start you know be, even before spring training so he's he's on the IL sixty, um, the injured list for sixty days, and one of their other starters. But um, and the bullpen that was uh, the biggest concern amongst Red Sox fans has actually been doing quite well. But you know here and there they have blown up and lost a few close games. Um, so yeah, <laughs> wouldn't get too. Uh, uh, despondent at this stage, but um, yeah, need to go on a uh, a winning streak and win a few series. Uh, the one down in Toronto currently, and um, talking of staying healthy, they had COVID in the camp. Um, believe it or not, I think the catcher got it. Pawecki, uh, the manager Alex Cora, is has got it as well and has not been able to travel to Toronto. And uh, you know now we're finding out which players have not been vaccinated. And one of the 
starting pitchers. I think the young guy, Tanner Houck, has not been vaccinated, so he can't travel to Toronto. So, um, yeah, it's a bit possibly, can you call that self-inflicted? I don't know. I wouldn't really be critical one way or the other. But, um, yeah, it's a, you need your manager there. I saw the guy who was... Um, one of the one of the coaches who took over was getting criticised, but you know they lost the game, so he's going to get criticised. If they'd have won a close one, um, he might have been doing the right thing. I think he pulled the um, the starting pitcher. They'd gone six or seven innings. Um, Evaldi pitched really well, but he'd only pitched something like seventy-two pitches, and he took him out of the game. And then uh, the, the you know the the eighth inning there. So it, uh, Bo Bichette got a grand slam off the, off the combined two closers. So, you know, you're going to get criticism if you if, if that's what happens. But, um, yeah, I'd, we'll be OK. We'll see what happens tonight. Let's see him bounce back tonight. Is there one player in particular you can think of, Yorkshire, Dave, who you're particularly looking forward to seeing uh, in the 2022 season? Yeah, I, I mean, there's a lot of players that I really like. Uh, Devers is the one that um, everyone's getting excited about because he looks um, as though he's not only just hitting well and hitting for power, he's also um, improving his defence, which I think was, um, you know, the concern was that, um, you know, could could he carry on? Because he's a young player, so could he carry on being um, a third baseman and a hit, or would he have to go to DH? So he's obviously been working hard on his defence and he looks... He looks pretty good. Um, and I think it makes um, a very big difference because I think he's coming out of contract soon. And again, the Red Sox fans are really concerned about Devers and Bogarts with both, um, you, you know, not being offered the mega deals that they probably deserve and probably looking for. But it makes a difference. If you're a DH, I think you're sort of going to... Um, attract less in terms of contract than if you're actually a position player as well as a hitter. So he probably can command a uh, much higher contract, Devers I'm talking about now, if he's a third baseman and hitting for average and hitting for um, hitting home runs. So, yeah, that's interesting because certainly don't want to lose those two. And then, you know, the fact that they brought in Trevor Story, who played shortstop all his career and is that um, playing second base does that mean they're expecting Xander Bogarts to go and uh, you know because it's always like this at Boston you know you've got to <laughs> the criticism that they that they get because they are expected to compete and they're expected to make the, the, the playoffs and, and be going for World Series yeah we'll see yep well I as poor folks that follow the Mariners haven't made a postseason for 20 years and counting, but I'm hopeful that this might perhaps be the year. And, and for me, it's uh, Julio Rodriguez is probably the man I'm most looking forward to seeing for the for the Mariners because he's come, he, well, obviously a star of the farm system. He's built such a big reputation. And the expectations are high for him as well. And he's clearly got a lot of talent. He's got a lot of oomph in his back. You know, he's, when he hits it, he really hits it. And, he, and he's starting to find a bit of form after a difficult start. But it, it's funny, it doesn't matter how talented you are. Uh, when you come into the big leagues, he's 
still swinging in too many pitches they shouldn't be swinging at, getting a lot of cold strikeouts, but perhaps that will come. I'm sure that will come with experience, but he's he's my pick for the man I liked this season. And Dave Jr., I'm conscious we forgot to ask you if there was any particular white socks that you'd you like to focus on that you want to to keep an eye on this season. Oh, I'm just I'm really happy to see um, Lewis Robert if he can get a run. Uh, nothing to do with I've got him down for MVP for the American League <laughs> in one of my online accounts. Um, but no, it's, if you don't mind me jumping in, it's something I wanted to ask Dave when he spoke about the pressure um, um, in Boston. Isn't it strange though? With I think everybody knows, even out with baseball um, and even in the UK, people would tend to recognise that they're that sporting rivalry, the old firm um, or Man United Liverpool or AC Inter. I think everybody knows that there's that huge rivalry between Boston and between the Yankees. Do you feel, and again, it's not as if the two teams are still in the American League, but in different divisions. When you've got them playing so frequently, do you feel that there's extra pressure there for either team to always be ahead of the other? Again, a bit similar in Glasgow. If you're second, you're nowhere type of idea. Yeah, I think it's been better since uh, the Red Sox got over their curse of uh, not winning the World Series for you know for eighty odd years, and um, the you know the twenty first century they've been probably the most successful franchise in the sport. I think they've got five. They've, they've got four World Championships, and um, from that point of view, they, they, you know, they're, they're ahead of the Yankees, and the Yankees have only really won one. If you don't count the year two thousand, which I don't, <laughs> surprisingly enough. Yeah. But you know, um, but yes, it's it, the, the Yankees um, important, especially when they play against it, because it, you know, that obviously I went to that wild card game last year, and um, you, you know, the Yankees had had a bit of a, uh, a run on. on on the Red Sox, but the Red Sox, Boston won that game, knocked them out of the playoffs. So, um, yeah, I think uh, it's still that great rivalry, and you'll you'll never overtake the historic, um, you know, number of World Series uh, that the the Yankees have got and their status in the game. But um, yeah, I don't know whether there's um, that underdog thing on. Boston against the, the the Yankees anymore. I don't really feel it. You always want to win, and you, you know it's those damn Yankees. Sometimes you know you come, they nearly come away with nothing from that series. They just managed to to win the last game, but they were all close games, all winnable. And you think, God, are they not going to get? They really deserve something out of that, and they did win the third game. So yeah, it is important. But you look at um, that division. And really, you know, it's probably it's probably the, uh, the the Jays, the Jays and the Rays who are the, who are the top two. So maybe you know, maybe we should turn our attention to them, um, you know, and just just enjoy the rival before it is when we play the Yankees. Absolutely. Now, Alan, before we bring you in to, to hear your take on how your Tigers have started the season, I guess we should probably have we're talking about. Victories and winners and champions mention our very own Yorkshire Dave, who I believe was their top of the fantasy league for 2021. He's a tough man to beat. I'm very impressed with his end of season techniques when he um, 
bit of a horse racing fan there as well because he really came up on the post to the the hardworking Dave Junior who put a lot of effort in and uh, had run a fast race until almost falling at the final hurdle for Dave Senior to use his experience and while to get it over the line and as Dave Junior said a couple of minutes ago nobody remembers who was second so uh, well done to Dave Senior. And let's see how 2022 goes. Uh, we've we've set the league up. We need to get going and sort of um, sort our teams out and keep on top of them. But uh, yeah, it's a, it's it's a fantastic way for people to learn. I think about baseball and the other players from other teams around the leagues as well. Congratulations, Dave Senior. Yeah, absolutely. And well done. Actually, well done, Dave Jr. as well, who made it a real contest, far more so than Alan or I did. And uh, to quote Ken Griffey once again, Dave Jr. Uh, in that thing recently, talking about the Mariners and said, the young players have got to understand it's a marathon, not a sprint. That's what the, one of the things those veterans taught me. Hey, Ricky, it's a long year. If you want to run 40-yard dashes, that's cool. But I'm going to go ahead and run these two miles to get ready for this marathon. So I think it's the veteran smarts of Yorkshire Dave overcame the, the youthful the youthful brilliance of Dave Junior. But we'll see what happens this year as well. Do you know I had to I had to keep my mouth shut last year during the run in because I realised I just I hadn't really read the rules if I'm being honest. Um, so the way that the league works is that you can only score a select amount of points for each position. Uh, for instance, 162 times. Um, uh, you know, the, whoever you play at third base, for example, in real life, they could only play 162 times. But what I was trying to do was um, score a lot of points early on. Right. And then as the season went out, I just didn't realise that there was actually a cutoff. So even if, let's say in the last day of the season, I had Jose Abreu at first base, even if he'd scored, you know, smashed out five home runs and, and so on, none of those points counted towards my score because I'd already finished scoring for those positions. But I thought if I disclose that to you guys, you might just then well be aware of it and pit me at the post. And uh, Dave did anyway. But um, no, it was really good. And I know this year we were a little, a little bit rushed as a group to um, to do it this year. But uh, it's a good, I think, I'm sure we'll get into it as the, as the weeks go on. Um, but no, Dave, uh, you know, Dave and I have got history with fantasy uh, uh, sporting tournaments. Uh, again, for years uh, in our company, we would uh, compete against each other year after year in, in an English premiership manner. Um, and it's always good. You know, there's different mechanisms to score, but uh, no, the man knows his stuff. He knows his stuff. Well done, Dave. <laughs> sounds like sounds like the beginnings of a Red Sox and Yankees style rivalry we've got going on right here in the Highland bullpen, to be honest with you. But Alan, taking us back to, to this season and the real action, uh, the Detroit Tigers, what have you made of, of the start to the season, Alan? Obviously, there's also a, a very famous piece of history that deserves to be recognised in this or any other season. But more generally, first, how are the Tigers getting on? Yeah, it looks... Not dissimilar to previous seasons, I'm afraid to say at this at this stage, Richard. Uh, is that the? I think there's been five series so far, beaten four, and we managed to defeat the old Royals in the one series that we've actually won two to one. We've we've picked up a game 
against everyone we've played, which has included the Yankees, the Red Sox, the White Sox and the Rockies. Um, and we seem to, I think a few of them, we actually even won the first game and then managed to lose games two and three. So I don't know if that's something to do with the, the pitching order or how we go about that. Um, so yeah, I don't quite understand the technicalities. A wee bit disappointed. The AL Central, as Mr. White Sox was referring to there, is is fairly tight. The, the Twins lead it on 500, eight wins and eight losses. So six wins and nine losses. We're not really too far behind, one and a half games behind just now. So if we can start putting something together, it would be interesting. One of the worrying features, I don't know how much this will play, um, is off our 15 games, uh, only one of those series has been away from Comerica Park. Uh, and actually, that, although in fairness, that was a series we won uh, against the, the Royals. So a lot of road travel to come up. We'll see if that affects us as, as we go on. Uh, <clears throat> we've seen, we've got the excitement of the likes of Spencer Torkelson coming out there and, and batting now. Uh, he's two seventeen average. But uh, he's hit what, three homers. Um, we've got the new guy from the Rays, I think it was, Austin Meadows. So he he's come in, he's batted well, batting at 333. Uh, so we're do, doing okay, do, doing okay, but not really, not, not the fast start we might have hoped for after having a number of winning seasons last year. So we, we really have to, to wait and see. But my man, Daz Cameron, he was put down to the Toledo Mad Hens. So somebody might want to explain a wee bit of how this works. So he, he's been called back as the 29th man. So it's a 40-man rotation, is it? So he's been called back a couple of times as the 29th man uh, and been given a chance to bat uh, for the Tigers. I think that's something to do with most of the rotation are potentially pitchers. So they must have one or two guys in the minors who they know they're going to pull back and forth reasonably regularly. Uh, five at bats, no hit, no. <coughs> oh, excuse me. Five at bats, no hits. I'm afraid he's made it onto base once, from which he actually scored and stole a base. So showing a wee bit of pace there. So pleased to see he's getting a few games. It seems to be on the edges of whether he'll make the team, and he's moving beyond rookie status so it's going to presumably become a wee bit harder for him as well but yeah the I don't know if this is the reason for the Tigers having the most home games of any team in the league so far but perhaps that was done in anticipation of the historic moment of Miguel Cabrera getting his 3000th hit having got his 500th home run last season uh, joining a very elite Group, I think seven players have had 3,000 hits, 500 home runs. Only three of them have batted over 305. So in the whole history of Major League Baseball, that really is putting him up there with the greats. Okay. Um, f- fantastic to see. I was reading a good article about how the Tigers signed him from the, the Marlins back in 2007. Uh, fantastic career. One of the fascinating things here is you've got to say this is one of the He's going to be one of the all-time baseball greats. He'll go to Cooperstown. Um, his jersey will be retired at Comerica. They might even do a, 
I'd expect them to do a statue for him when you think of the other statues they've got there. But you can pull out these stats in a team game like baseball that you don't have to be on a winning team. They, they did make the World Series once in his time, I think 2012. Um, but in, in reality, this is just showing you that you can have mega stars on every team, which has got to be a great thing for the fans and for the sport. It's not, as we've alluded to in football, two big teams racking them up all the time. Any player with that sort of record in the lower halves of the Scottish leagues, the English leagues, football, they wouldn't be hanging around there for long. They'd be snapped up onto big money playing for the big teams. But Miguel has had two seven-year contracts with the Tigers. They've made him a very wealthy man, but he's made himself a wealthy man through his ability. Uh, but he, he's gone and achieved it himself. Despite those damn Yankees who you might have seen, he was on 2,999 in the last game of the series against the Yankees. He was not for three, came up to bat a fourth time. So what did the Yankees do? They intentionally walked him. Uh, from whence, from hence comes the phrase, damn Yankees. <laughs> uh, I, I am in two minds about it, and I don't know what the guys think about this, because we have alluded to the fact on the podcast that uh, the baseball as a competition is quite different to what we're used to watching, and it's a nice, friendly occasion, etc., etc., family occasion to go to a game. Um, Miggy didn't complain. He said it was more important that we, we beat the Tigers on, on that day. Uh, it was 3-0 was the, was the final score. Uh, so I admire them for making a decision to try to win the game, the Yankees, but thousands of people were at Comerica Park to see one thing. Uh, so what, what do you think, Richard? Yeah, I mean, that seems fairly typical for those uh, bad bad ones from the Bronx there, uh, Alan. But one thing I was going to ask you is, and obviously what an incredible achievement from Miggy, the 33rd Major League Baseball player to reach that 3,000 hit landmark, and the third to do it while a Detroit Tiger, Alan. Now, I know you're a man that loves quiz and loves some, loves a quiz and loves some stats. So who are the other two Major League Baseball players to have reached the 3,000th hit while representing the Detroit Tigers? I think I know the answer to this. Uh, so hopefully I'm not going to show myself up. And uh, not through any historical knowledge, but we'll have read it in the last week or so. Ty Cobb, the Georgia Peach. Indeed. And the guy with the name, which always amuses me and it brings me back to my higher chemistry of Alkaline. Absolutely. Well done, Alan. Miss Mr. Tiger. Yes. Yeah. That's uh, no, well done, Alan. I, I didn't doubt you would have got those, Alan, but good to rhyme off a couple of legendary Tigers yeah. from the past as well. And, and a final note regarding Miggy's immense achievement. He also becomes the first player from Venezuela, a country that's produced lots of great baseball players, but he's the very first of those to, to reach that landmark as well. So congratulations to him. He certainly uh, represents all its best about how Major League Baseball has played, I think, and has been a, a real standout for a long time. I think he won a World Series for the Marlins way back in the early 2000s as well. Uh, so he's been doing it at the very top for an awful long time. He also um, 
probably achieve something which is almost even rarer than what we've discussed already. Did he not win the Triple Crown? Um, yes. The only guy that's won it in the last 50-odd years. So that's, um, I think, a um, very rare event in the history of the game when a batter is, oh, God, let me get this right, he's got to be ahead in all three of the major stats for a batsman. Is it home runs, batting average, and RBIs? And he did that, oh, God, 2012, something like that. And it was the first guy in over 50 years, I think it was Carl Yastrzemski of Red Sox, who had done it in 67. Um, So... Yeah, I've heard him, people talking about him, but possibly, you know, by the time he ends his career, I mean, he's he's 39 now, but he's only just 39, I think. Um, Albert Puyols, whose uh, numbers are amazing, is still playing. He's 42. So, you know, he, he looks pretty fit, doesn't he? You know, sort of. Uh, so let's say he's got another three years. Um, I saw he had, he had a, over 100 hits last year, not um, up to what he was hitting in, say, his peak in 2012, when he was hitting maybe, you know, nearer 200 hits a year. So he could get another um, four or 500 hits, which would probably put him in in terms of hits in the top, you know, in the top 10 all time. He's got all those um, home runs. He might end up with 550 home runs. And it's not just the numbers either, is it? You know, it's something else about him is... Uh, He's a real competitor, isn't he? A very likable character, isn't he? I know, absolutely. I'm sure it's one of these ones where I think everyone in baseball will have enjoyed. Apart from the, I think it was the Rockies, he did it against, apart from the Rockies and the fans, I'm sure everyone else in baseball will have really enjoyed seeing him do that. And actually, with that, he tied uh, the late, great Roberto Clemente, who finished his career with exactly 3,000 hits as well, I believe. Yeah. The, the other thing you say with the, the Rockies, in a way, wouldn't have enjoyed it. But the first person to congratulate him, and it was very heartfelt, the hug he gave was, uh, I think the chap's name was Iglesias, who's a Rockies player from Venezuela, and they are good friends. Um, so, yeah, I'd like to see Alfredo Morales breaking an old firm goal-scoring record and Callum McGregor going and embracing him whilst he does that. Richard, how would you feel about that? Uh, conflicted. I think Alan would be uh, would be the beginning of it. I think, and it would go downhill from there. But as we know, I'm very much part of the problem, not the solution. And that's why baseball is a much better sport uh, than than football in many ways. But uh, yeah, no, you're right, Alan. There will be you see that regularly, actually, don't you? In games where a player makes a really historic achievement or achieve something remarkable and you do genuinely see other players you know come over from the other team and you know you do get that sense of actual real warmth in terms of just seeing a great moment in baseball interestingly in terms of where his numbers will end up and he's in 3002 just now in 32nd place in 31st place is the aforementioned alkaline on 3007 so you're going to have during the season and ongoing, hopefully a reasonably regular step up that league table. And it, it's all down to his health, how he does that. He seems to, he's moved pretty much to be the DH now um, and more or less given up, I think, his first base position to Spencer Torkelson, which is a bit of the passing of the bat. And Tork actually hit a home run 
just after Miggy's uh, three thousandth hit, which was sort of symbolic as well. Um, so that presumably allows him to maybe stay a little bit fitter and, and more ready just to get out there and knock it out the the park. Like, and whilst we can watch some torque bombs, as Dave has just interjected with his help. Absolutely, absolutely. So there you have it. That's a good summary, I think, of where our respective teams are at the moment. For our, I shouldn't be getting too carried away. It's a long season, and for the same reason, I think the you guys shouldn't be getting too despondent either because it's a long season. Uh, but in terms of other things that have caught our, our eyes and our attention in the world of baseball, I've been really struck by how the New York Mets have come racing out the starting blocks this season as well. And I don't remember at the start of last season, I suggested they might be a kind of dark horse, which didn't, in fact, pan out. But do we reckon this might actually be the year where the, the Mets really make a big move and are viable World Series contenders? At, at, at 13 wins and five losses, losses uh, I was going to say the, the the division they're in the the, the National League East. The, so in one sense, it's not the strongest divisions, but then the Braves are in there as well. So uh, current champions are they not? So um, it's got to be an exciting time for for the Mets. Uh, the Yankees obviously doing well in New York as well. But yeah, we you mentioned that last year, Richard. So. Baseball obviously has that possibility of you, you strengthen your team and then you come through in the next year or two as well. So you may well have um, foreseen that very well. I think it was the new ownership, which actually, depending on who you believe, might have knocked your own Tigers owner out of first place in terms of richest MLB owners as well. Clearly a lot of investment going in there on a team that, for all they don't have the storied history of the Yankees in the city, they're still a major sports franchise in the, in many ways, the capital of the world. And you'd expect them to be very, very powerful and real contenders. And they've got some great players as well. So, Dave Jr., do you think the Mets will make their mark this year? Yeah, I mean, they're, they're such a good team. I'm a really big fan of Max Scherzer. He is just an absolute animal uh, on the mound. He's just tremendous. He's so good to watch. Um, he's also one of those guys that, uh, for those of you that don't watch MLB TV, uh, between innings or pitching changes, they show classic moments over the years. Um, again, just little quick snippets. And Usually you get Miggy in there. Uh, occasionally you get J.D. Martinez, Ken Griffey. Um, but you do very often see Max Scherzer doing unbelievable things from a pitching point of view. He's excellent. Um, I'm actually a really, really big fan of uh, Sterling Marte, um, who plays in the outfield. He is just rapid, um, and I'm, yeah, he's he's a fantastic player. Um, I, I think I think I've got it's the boy at shortstop as well. Is it Lindor? Yeah, I think I saw you. The chocolate, <laughs> he makes chocolates. Um, he's he's excellent in the infield as well. But uh, they've got a pretty good team. I've always liked um, Pete Alonso. I think is at first base, and he's a guy that um, we've spoken about before. He's he's won the home run derby quite a lot uh, over the years. He's just an absolute beast again at the plate. Um, but they've got a good solid team with all that all that uh, backing behind them as well. Richard, I wouldn't be able to name who else is in their division. Uh, off the top of my head, so I'm not too sure what kind of strength of teams they're up against. 
Well, the Braves are in there. Let me just remind myself as well round about that. But they had a really good series against the Giants. Obviously, one of the powerhouses as well. And they took they took that series three one against the San Francisco Giants. And I think that's a that's a good indication that they've got what it takes to beat good teams as well. Uh, but certainly in the table, they're in there with the Marlins, the Phillies, and, and the Nationals. In addition to the Braves, so that rounds out that that uh, the National League East. So yeah, there's a, it's a mixed bag in terms of the quality of, of the other uh, franchises in there, but you can't you can't argue with a start like that. That's a fairly fairly rapid out of the blocks, and I, and I guess in the same way that Yorkshire Dave mentioned that you don't want to get too far behind that 500 mark as well. It's a nice position to be way out in front in the 700 odds uh, as the Mets are at the moment. And and Yorkshire Dave, do you think the Mets? As you say, we often defer to your your experience and wisdom. In the matter and the matters of baseball here, so you think this is a year where the Mets can really do something special? Yeah, and they're doing this with, um, if I'm right, um, without Degrom, is he still on the injured list? That's right. So yep, got him to come back. And <clears throat> just looking at the, um, I think apart from the Dodgers and the Giants, uh, Mets have got the, the best run differential, so they're scoring a lot of runs and they're also keeping. Um, but, you know, very down. And, you know, if you remember last year, although they didn't fulfill their promise, uh, DeGrom was um, just out on his own as a pitcher, wasn't it? So if he comes back and is able to be, uh, uh, you know, to, to be their ace again, then uh, they, they must have a great a great chance. And I've got a bit of time for uh, <laughs> the Mets, you know, they come from New York and uh, they're not the Yankees. Like my enemy's enemy is my friend, kind of thing. <laughs> I take it exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's nice to see kind of new, not new teams, but you know, see an unfamiliar name, and we might be talking totally differently in twenty or thirty games. Baseballs like that, they might just suddenly drop, fall back into the pack. But I'd like to see them have a have a real go at it this year, this year as well. And so, from the early the early stages of the season, is there anything else that stood out for for anyone? Maybe could be relation to your own team or just a wider. I'm interested to see how the new DH stuff has panned out as well. You know, the universal DH, given what how much history there was, but it seems to have been pretty much accepted. Not too much of fuss being made about it. No, there's. Um, I'm sort of uh, relaxed about that now. I think initially, sort of, um, I'll put my old blokes <laughs> hat on and but you know go with the traditionalists and quite like the differences between the two leagues but um yeah fair enough but the one thing that caught my eye the other day was um we're talking about pitch com um you know pitch, i thought initially they said pitch cam so i wondered what was going on here but it, this had sort of passed me by and apparently they They've been trialling it in the minor leagues, as they have been doing lots oh, yeah. of things with a view to, I think, the objectives are. This is um, a system that, <laughs> that they've devised. In fact, I've seen the company that's devised it. It's a technology that allows the catcher to call a pitch without putting signs down like they usually do, you know, with their, with their fingers as the batsman is in the box, came ready to hit there, because the catcher needs to know, he calls the game really, he really needs to know where the pitch is going. So this company um, has developed a technology that allows them to do that. And they've got, they wear a device 
on their wrist and they press a button and there's a receiver, believe it or not, that the, uh, the picture and a selected number of the fielders um, were inside the lining of the cap. And I think it actually comes out as a verbal um, um, instruction saying, you know, slider or fastball outside. And so the objective is to prevent cheating, the sign stealing thing, like if there's a, especially if there's a man on, you know, on second base, they can sometimes see what the signs are that the catcher is signaling to the pitcher and somehow relay that <laughs> to, to, we won't go into the detail of that. But also the idea is to speed up the game. I think they're looking at ways to speed up the game. And last night, um, the, the commentary was that the game was going really quick and this is when they talked about the pitch cam. And I think what the catcher is doing is before the batter is even in the box, when they're sort of walking from the, you know, the, the, the on-deck circle to the batter's box, the catcher is already telling the pitcher what pitch he wants him to, 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 to throw and they're, they're ready to go. So... Yeah, that sounds like a pretty good. Uh, until someone, of, the company that developed the technology I read is the same. They mentioned in the article that I just read was that they the same people that, uh, that developed this technology for magicians and mentalists. <laughs> <laughs> they, they must have you know, these sort of same sort of things that they have plants in the audience, uh, if, if you know what I mean, something like that. So, so that. How long will it be before somebody comes up with uh, a way of intercepting these devices? Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. But that sounds like really interesting to me. And if it does speed up the game, I think that's probably quite a good thing. Yeah. Dave Junior, do you reckon we've all encountered a few mentalists in our time? <laughs> Could be a few of them in this call, Richard. Um, no, it's really interesting. It's, I'm glad Dave brought it up. Um, it's definitely sped so many games up that I've watched. Uh, you can see the pictures really rapidly going through it. And it's interesting as well, if you manage to, if there's some good camera work, they do show the the catcher just whipping through these things. It is a bit, it's almost like a futuristic device from the 70s, you know, how they would picture today's things, sitting on the wrist. And um, again, it's really quite good, like a little touch pad. Uh, there was one story that I read, and you'll need to forgive me because I can't quite remember uh, the, the pitcher's name but he did say the way that the noise comes out over his ear um, he said he felt it really it's like how on earth can, can a runner at first not hear that he said it's almost as if it's coming out over the stadium tannoy so he actually took off the cap and listened waited for it again he couldn't hear it but again when he puts the cap back on so it's just one of these um, I know that runners are quite partial to these new types of um, music headphones where they don't sit in your ear at all. They sit very much over your ear, and it's all to do with the vibrations um, and the noise that comes out. So that's that's perhaps where some of that comes from. Um, but it's excellent. It's really good. Um, it's You can absolutely notice it when a pitcher doesn't use it. Um, so last night, so two nights ago, uh, one of the White Sox relief pitchers, Kendall Graveman, uh, went back to the old, old school theory, and you could, again, you could see the catcher throwing up the signs and it does take significantly longer. So um, it'll be good if all pitchers come to use this over, over a period of time, albeit it's quite an art uh, between pitchers and catchers. And again, they're in field to recognise what's coming via all these signals. It's 
it's quite a cool little skill to have, but for the fans to watch, I think it, it makes the game more interesting, Richard. Yeah, I was just—I was actually looking at when I was sort of uh, reading about the pitch con thing. You know, I'd never really <laughs> now sort of understand a bit more what was going on with these. You know, they use the fingers, don't they? They—they they, they, obviously the catcher squats behind the batter and he tries to hide them, doesn't he? And he just—and I was looking at them and sort of traditionally, you know, you would have four pitch types. The fastball, curveball, slider, and changeup. And then, um, so he would signal that by one finger, either one finger fastball, two fingers curveball, three fingers slider, four fingers changeup. And then the next signal would be pitch location. So um, outside, you know, a fastball outside might be one followed by one for outside. And then a curveball outside might be two for the curveball and then three for the outside. So... <laughs> But there was other pitch. You know, it's got a really complex sport, isn't it, baseball? And you, you feel as though it's the same in the NFL as well, like especially the quarterback. They, the players need to know almost as much as the coaches do. They need to know all the plays. They need to know, in baseball, they need to know all these sing, signals. And there's other signals for if there's going to be like um, a catch them out, throw them out thing. If, there's a, if he wants to, the catcher wants to throw. Uh, try and get the the guy out who, if there's a guy on first base. So um, yeah, sort of, uh, so I'm learning a bit of old technology, possibly a bit too late. <laughs> I, I've not actually seen this pitch com stuff. It sounds like almost like the Jetsons doing baseball in terms of something <laughs> from the past, looking towards the future. To be honest with you, but I notice it's had a mixed reception and actually catchers as well. I think people might kind of not realise the impact it's having them. I saw Victor Caratini was saying, uh, you know, it's uh, he, he likes to take a few seconds when he gathers in the pitch to to think again about the guy that's on the mound, you know, almost mentally process the, his own individual scouting report on him, what he's been like so far in the game. You know, it's not just a case of, you know, there's a bit more thought goes into it. There's a lot of thought goes into it, clearly. And maybe actually that pressure to get the buttons pushed or whatever isn't quite in tune with that. But I guess, and I think some people have said that it worked great in spring training in front of a silent small crowd, but actually getting it to be loud enough to hear with a big crowd of baseball fans, but not too loud that the opposition are hearing it is quite a challenge as well. But I'm sure they'll get it right as time goes by. Because the And the DH thing, one thing, maybe not for just now, but maybe we could cover it in a future episode. The different approaches to the DH, like I noticed a few teams, a lot of teams have a designated like kind of DH on their roster, effectively somebody that is the DH more often not. But the Mariners tend to swap that role about. They tend to rotate it as well. And I think that's been something that some teams that we think of as quite progressive, like the Astros and the Rays, have been doing for quite quite a while. So Dave Jr., is that something you'd notice as well? Yeah, the White Sox are very similar to the Mariners in that respect, Richard. We tend to use it um, as a way to give one of the players a day off um, from yeah. their, their defensive yeah. duties. Yeah. Um, so, it's, it's, again, it's really good if you get a good batch of hitters that perhaps you just want to give that, that time off. Uh, I know that some of our guys, like uh, Eloy Jimenez, has been quite outspoken that to, to hit well, he feels he needs to be part of the game and he needs to be operating defensively to then go on and hit, um, and hit well when he's at bat. Um, it's. I think it might be different if you've got a, a Nelson Cruz in your team who for years has absolutely smashed the White Sox about 
Uh, I'm not sure Miggy might fit that role as well as things go on. Um, he, you know, guys like this who might just have a special talent of hitting the ball, making connection. There might be a home for them, but otherwise, teams like the White Sox, teams like the Mariners, might be quite happy to use it for um, to, to let guys hit and hit only if there's some question marks about their um, defensive ability, or if they just want to give them a, a, a kind of day off to an extent. That makes a lot of sense, actually. Thanks for that, uh, Dave Junior. That explained it really well. And Alan, is where do the Tigers sit in this regard? Well, obviously, I think you would always sit in that regard. But what do you make of the the, the two uh, schools of thought, if you like? Uh, what I was actually going to say was um, I didn't realise this was a thing, but when I went to the Durham Bulls game recently, they had a pitch clock, uh, which is relevant there as well, because I saw this clock counting down. <clears throat> now, I can't remember. I'm sure it said it was coming down, coming down from 20 seconds, and all I've found on Google is that the official MLB rule, and this obviously wasn't MLB, is, is 12 seconds. Um but it was good to actually see that the the pitcher generally was was getting the ball away within that time because I think we'll see in, in MLB they never make the the twelve second rule. But I, I yeah for all the baseball I've seen and thought about I didn't actually realise that was a thing. Uh, so that was that was interesting to see to see that. Uh, but, yeah, I'm a traditionalist, but at the same time, I also think if technology can help us move the game along, uh, it, it's fun seeing the catcher waving his fingers about and coming up with something, but actually it's not an integral part of the game. Uh, and, and if this moves it on and possibly makes it clearer for the, 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 the pitcher and the catcher, then great, go for it. Yeah, I remember when we spoke to Campbell McLaren previously, he talked about the speed of the game and, and the challenges as a man who knows all there is to know about marketing sports successfully. That that's a real challenge to a generation brought up on constant highlights, 60 second wraps and yeah. stuff like yeah. and stuff like that. As well, I guess in a way, baseball faced two choices in that regard. You can either make one big huge change, like shortening a game to six innings, for example keeping everything else the same and just making it six innings rather than nine, or what they've done is avoided a, that big fundamental kind of change and just tried to find maybe half a dozen different ways to make those to make the game that a little bit faster and add up to that major change. It, it is interesting as well. I mean, we, we don't go to many games, and that, that the Bulls game I went to might, uh, I don't I think it was more two and a half hours, but... To, 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 if you're going to games regularly, you know how you occupy those those two and a half hours. You you sit and watch the first couple of innings. You you catch up with the the, the friends and family you're at the game with. You go for a beer. Uh, you come back, watch some baseball. You go for a slice of pizza. Come back and watch some baseball. So the, the evening's entertainment is is different from watching your ninety minute game of football where you're not going to miss a second of that action. But um, yes, simple things like that can help but baseball is not and I guess should not then be a quick occasion where it's all completely about how, how quickly can we get this done oh, Absolutely, I mean it's a, it's a dilemma lots of sports have had to wrestle with as well and I've talked before about how cricket's been transformed about that kind of need to find a compelling 21st yeah. century format 
that keeps the essence of another brilliant sport that makes it something that can continue to thrive in the modern media and, and just yes, wider world yeah. that we have that we have just now. But uh, yeah, I think that was a a good a good, good points made there, Alan. And in terms of other things that have been going on in the wider world of, of baseball, I, I think Dave Junior had some thoughts round about the the umpires for the season as well, Dave Junior. Yeah, this could be one for another day, Richard, but I think there has, uh, from what I can see online, um, there's certainly been a little bit of discontent about some of the umpire decisions. Um, I think the fact that the players brought it up as part of the whole negotiations during the off-season, um, although it would never have applied from this season going forward, there's definitely been more and more talk about robotic umpires. We've spoken about it on this podcast as well. Um, again, to make it very clear, I think we're all in absolute awe of the decisions that umpires make. Uh, it's incredible the amount of decisions they get right. Um, and it's quite funny, as soon as you take away that little box that you can see as a graphic on the TV screen, I find it near impossible to call what's a strike and what's a ball. So the fact that these men can do that consistently, uh, again, over 162 games as part of a as part of a crew, is, is wonderful. But I think the players and management and fans are really starting to push more to see if there's something that can be done about overturning calls or, um, you know, a little bit like VAR has impacted football. I think that people always want to see the right decisions made. And as much as uh, umpiring is a bit of an art, uh, it does seem to be that more and more people are calling for a little bit of assistance for the umpires or for something to overhaul them completely. Um, with, again, more and more decisions at important parts of the game, perhaps affecting outcomes. Um, so I'm not sure. I know, Dave, if uh, you get any thoughts on this? I know you've waxed lyrical before about your appreciation of, of umpires. Yeah, I love the umpires, you know. And... It any other sport, you know, you tend to be uh, rail against the, the guys in charge, don't you? But the umpires are great. And instinctively, I was sort of against this idea of uh, bringing in the robotic umpires. But something happened the other night which reminded me that actually, you know, if you if you look at the at-bat, um, the umpire can't, literally can't see the bottom part of the strike zone because the catcher is crouching in front of that. So they have to sort of make a, a little, literally a call on that. And of course, <laughs> the catchers, uh, the art of framing is very much a thing, isn't it? I think the baseball stats even measure who, which catchers are uh, better at framing pitches so that they, you know, a pitch that's uh, low inside that you can see the catcher will actually catch the ball and then just bring it up slightly um so that uh, so I, I think that the umpires genuinely need help don't they? <laughs> that sounds that sounds pretty bad but there was a fantastic ejection uh, the other day I don't know if you saw it Kyle Schwarber who played for the, the Red Sox in the second half of last year really great hitter um he went absolutely berserk against this guy who was notorious. Is it Angel Hernandez, uh, home play yeah. umpire, who has got a reputation for calling, sort of making weird calls. I saw him the other night, 
And he actually called, <laughs> this is a Boston Red Sox game, he actually awarded first base to J.D. Martinez. Um, and I don't think they quite worked it out themselves, the commentators, but he awarded ball four because the starting pitcher had licked his lips and had not wiped it off. And apparently you're supposed to do that to something to do with doctoring the ball. So he'd noticed this and uh, made that call. But Carl Schwalber went berserk over this strike zone that he was operating that night. But it was low, and they did make the point that, you know, that they have difficulty in actually seeing that part of the plate. So maybe maybe an automatic call, robotic call, and that might be the way forward. Can I make a, a suggestion then, Yorkshire Dave, and this is one right up your, right up your street, to be honest, right up your Kirkstall Lane end here, because cricket has, uh, I think, a system where you can you can challenge, is it three decisions? You get three challenges, I think. Yeah. And if you challenge and technology proves that you are right to challenge, i.e. the decision on the field was wrong, then you don't lose any of your free challenges. Could that potentially be an option where, you know, where maybe before going all the way with robotic umpires, giving teams the opportunity to challenge officially and maybe have a number like three per game or something like that? Yeah, it definitely works well in in cricket and it goes with um, umpires' calls. So it's usually like a, a leg before wicket decision. So um, they have to they have this technology that kind of works out um, where the ball, if it hadn't have hit the guy's leg, would it have hit the the stumps? And um, you know, if, if 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 the umpire has given the guy out, and um, you know the the challenge, and they find that actually he wouldn't have been out, then he stays at the crease, and they don't lose the call. But if they get it wrong, uh, it becomes quite a tactic, you know, and a skill. Um, because you do see in cricket, like in any other game, they're always appealing yep. that the guy is out. Uh, but the truth of the pudding is in the eating. And in yep. this case, it's actually, well, did you really think he's out? Because if you do think he was out, are you going to appeal? And quite often, they actually, even though they've appealed vociferously, when it comes down to it, they don't take it to the umpire in case they might lose, uh, you know, the third umpire in case they lose the. Feels like it could work for baseball, although it might, you know, it might slow the game down a bit. But I think they need to come to some kind of, um, you know, arrangement with that robotic umpire so that you don't. You know, I, I would still like to see the umpire have some control over that. Trying yeah. what you suggest is probably a good, um, a good way of doing it. It's, uh, I remember seeing recently it was a cricket game and uh, the bowler, it was a leg before wicket as you were talking about there, Yorkshire Dave, and the bowler gave it the full old-fashioned, dropped his knees, turned into the umpire, giving it all the, the full big licks and so on. Umpire gave it not out, bowler still looks furious at the umpire, huffing and puffing. His captain comes over and says to him, shall we appeal it? And you can actually see the bowler saying lips, you can read his lips saying that, nah, it was nowhere near. <laughs> <laughs> and I like that style. So yeah, that's when baseball could consider, you know, each team having a let's say it's three appeals per game. And yeah, they can put their money where their mouth is and make those make those challenges where they feel it's right to do so. But I think the challenge for us might be to get all this great chat, great baseball chat wrapped up into one episode. So I think we'll probably call it quits there, guys. 
on what has been a great reintroduction. You know, we've been back with an episode of this season so far, but I feel we're right back, right back in the groove here on the Highland Bullpen. And we're looking forward to speaking to you all next week. Thank you.